New Zealand's tech podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 518. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and with me today, Greg Hutana. How are you, Greg? I'm really good. Thanks, Paul. Now, great to have you back on the show, as always, uh, as Services Manager of uh, Gorilla Technology. Great to uh, have some extra representation for Gorilla. Love it. Now, let's jump uh, straight in. Lots to talk about this week. Uh, there's some products that we want to talk about. There's technology right throughout, of course, and some of that is, is very much uh, New Zealand focused. But before we get into the New Zealand side of it, keen to look at a few of the, the things that are relevant to New Zealand and the world. So first up, we had uh, we had Huawei in here uh, last week, and I've been trying out some of their new products as they sort of go through a little bit of a a pivot or they you know increase what they're doing outside of the traditional uh, smartphone mobile networks that we know them for and I've been trying out their Freebuds studio headphones now this as a product was a little bit of a surprise to me because you've got Huawei who are really in now with sort of consumer audio products and these new uh, headphones, I think the name is confusing because they use the Freebuds uh, name for, you know, in-ear earbuds and we think of earbuds as something that you put inside your ear uh, but these are sort of, you know, full-blown headphones and they've created a product that is, it it certainly looks as though they've engineered it to compete with what Bose and, and Sony are doing, you know, quite high-end noise-canceling headphones. Uh, Six microphones on there. They've got pass-through audio mode. So, you know, if you're you're wearing them, let's say you're on a flight, not so much of that going on at the moment, but you're on a flight and you want to be able to hear what the announcements are and so on being being made, you can, uh, you know, just tap through into that... uh, that mode away from your noise cancelling mode so you can hear what's you know what's being said um, or any other scenario around the office and so on and then you can flick back to uh, to normal mode or noise cancelling mode and they've also got uh, this what's called um, LHDC low latency high definition audio codec uh, which looks to be something that's designed to compete with um, uh, aptX the you know, high, high definition audio so yeah interesting to see um, I haven't spent you know, weeks with them yet but uh, seems to be a, a pretty credible um, a credible product there so yes I'm very uh, very curious to see how things sort of you know play out for Huawei they obviously you know uh, huge amounts of money you know billions of dollars in terms of uh, sales of smartphones. I would think that it's pretty hard to sort of you know generate that from from these other products, but uh, maybe this sort of fills in the gap, keeps their product out there until such time as as they you know can ultimately have uh, smartphones that can that can maybe dominate again. Very interesting. They're very weighty too, and actually they feel really solid. Like. You just put them on, you know, you're wearing quality straight away. So interesting to around the pricing, uh, but very, yeah, I think very about nice. Six hundred New Zealand dollars, so it's, yeah. it's not a not a not a low end. And, and it doesn't feel like that either. Yeah. It feels very weighty and, and really yeah. nice to wear. So. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be. Yeah, that's a sort of full retail price. So I'm sure there'll be variances in that over time. Uh, now the other product that was down, um, in, uh, well, a bit a bit more than an, an audio uh, track, uh, actually is 
something that I've been trying out in the car in the in the Tesla actually, but you know this would be relevant for um, for a bunch of vehicles. Um, it's from OEM Audio, who they're partners uh, for our electric vehicle podcast. Uh, but they they called me up because this particular product is a a sort of variation on the um, the head decks or you know car entertainment systems that have Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And you know, often people have a vehicle where you can't actually switch out the head deck, which is, is you know what I've done in cars in, in the past, where you know the car's got a traditional stereo. You want Bluetooth. You want to, you know to work with your smartphone uh, with with say Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, where it, it takes uh, you know the key things off the screen of your phone and puts them in a very nice sort of touchscreen uh, layout. Uh, into your, your your head deck or entertainment system in the car, um, but with some cars it's just isn't isn't practical. And so what they've done uh, here with this product, and they've got uh, two variations: the VCB 100, VCB uh, 200, and uh, I'm told that stands for very cool box. Uh, and uh, um, yeah, basically what it is, it's it's um, it's really just the screen piece, so you can actually attach that. Uh, to your dashboard or to your windscreen, quite separate from the stereo. Uh, and then it links through to your stereo over uh, an FM uh, transmitter. <coughs> and so um, for the first time, I've had um, Apple CarPlay um, and Android Auto uh, working in the Tesla. And of course, that's that's one of the things that a Tesla's never been able to do. Uh, and there'll be lots of other cars where it's, it's quite a good option. And reasonably priced, uh, $400 for the, the standard um, unit, the VCB100, and $500 for the VCB200. Uh, the big claim to fame of the uh, the 200, it supports wireless CarPlay. Unfortunately, not wireless um, Android Auto yet, um, but yeah, very nice. I haven't tried that one out, but uh, the VCB100 where I can you can plug in your uh, iPhone or, or your Android, and uh, up it comes on the screen, and uh, yeah, seems to seems to work uh, really nicely. Potentially clever marketing, because if you're going to spend four hundred, why not spend five hundred? There's not a lot of difference when there, they're that close there. together. So yeah, 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 and I think they're putting a reversing camera in there <coughs> as well with the um, with the two hundred. Now, Google for many many years, one of the one of the uh, things that has been very popular from Google particularly with Android phones, but also uh, supported on iOS, uh, has been their free storage for photos. And so you've got this unlimited uh, photo storage from Google. Well, it's, um, it's coming to an end. So uh, in 2021, they, uh, they, they cut that off. All that you've got stored in there to date, that will be okay. Um, but you won't be able to store any more unless you start fronting up with some money. So it's been quite a differentiator for uh, for Google having that uh, that offering out in the market, and uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a few people you know, caught by uh, surprise by that because it it has been really an, an an incredible offer to be able to store you know massive amounts. I'm I'm sure some people probably got terabytes worth of uh, photos being stored with Google and not paying uh, a cent for that. So uh, so that all changes in 2021 and that'll give people a chance to, to rethink where they where they store their photos. And you know, of course there are you know, multiple players in, in that space for, for those that are in the Apple ecosystem. Uh, you know, App, Apple have their, their options in terms of um, iCloud storage. We've got Microsoft in there with their OneDrive consumer and, and business. Uh, 
and uh, Amazon have something as well for those that are on uh, you know certain Amazon plans or you know pay for uh, uh, those services. Then uh, then then that's an option, and and there are. There are others, so uh, yeah, that will um, be interesting to see what is the flow on from them, uh, you know, switching on that that paid option into the market. Now, Amazon Web Services, a question: Are they too dominant? I've been looking at uh, a lot of media reports around um, the AWS outage that we've uh, we, that we've had this week, and yeah, I think you know the the impact is something that is is pretty big and although this this particular outage which uh, which, which ran for uh, you know num- number of hours uh, didn't have, have impact directly all their data centers around the world uh, it did impact a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of services that went uh, offline and it's not just as simple as well there's another there's another data center it's going to pick up the load and, it, and it's all going to be okay and um, I was I was reading a story in TechRadar where they sort of you know, collated together some of the services that got knocked out: One uh, Password, Coinbase, uh, Flickr, Glassdoor, Roku, uh, Vonage, which is a, um, a telephony service uh, in the US, uh, Autodesk, um, and then but they did mention there you know there were other big AWS customers such as Netflix, Apple, and, and Slack who who weren't impacted, but still a, a, a fairly large uh, a fairly large impact. And look, it's certainly not unique for yeah for, for any of the cloud services to you know occasionally have a a bit of a glitch and for something to to go down. Um, but of course, when it when it's AWS that goes down because they've got the biggest market share, they're relied on the most. The the impact can be uh, can be rather large. Yeah, and it was interesting at the end of that story. The quote was about how fortunate they were that it, this outage didn't happen today or tomorrow in terms of the US and around the world with Black Friday. Um, so they got a bit lucky. They feel. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that impact on uh, you know on on, on retail. Uh, yeah, could have could have been quite a, a big deal. Yeah, you uh, you hit out take out uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and uh, many billions or trillions of dollars worth of uh, worth of sales. Uh, yeah, I can I can imagine some um, some people would be or some organisations would be incredibly <laughs> up 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 in arms about and probably because uh, that Netflix and, wasn't and, and you consumers. know wasn't hit. That's that's helpful to them too because I'm sure people wouldn't be putting out with. You know, in the middle of their favourite and latest episode or whatever, and it, you know, suddenly going down, that would not be. You know, you'd suddenly have very unhappy customers um, because people take their leisure time very seriously. Obviously, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think yeah, where where consumers are directly impacted in those in those ways, it makes a big difference. And when uh, you know, there's that sort of widespread um, impact to commerce. Then I think you get the, um, you know, you get an Im- impact as well. So, um, yeah, quite, um, quite fortunate that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't any uh, any later in the week. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how these things, um, you know, play out. No doubt, but it, it's certainly in my uh, my impression that we, yeah we're we're seeing a, a a gradual improvement in terms of resiliency and reliability of these cloud services but it does depend um you know each 
I guess organisation uses uses these clouds in a in a somewhat different uh, you know somewhat different manner. Uh, they'll have a you know their own unique mix of of services and. Uh, some will, may pay more for resiliency than what uh, than what others do. So, yeah, there will will be um, differences there in terms of that sort of market market share question. Um, AWS have a pretty big um, you know a pretty big chunk, and there are there are differing reports I think on online around who. Uh, who necessarily has the biggest, or has, or exactly what the what those market share sort of slices are? Uh, but you know, certainly, it is AWS, Amazon Web Services that are in that uh, in the driver's uh, seat and uh, uh, the most uh, most dominant player. Uh, but of course. Where uh, where there's money to be made, there's uh, there's competition, and so we're we're seeing uh, a lot of work going on from Microsoft and from uh, from from Google to increase uh, their own uh, mar- market shares. And um, uh, yeah, it'll be it will be fascinating to see you know where are we in in five or ten years in terms of how that uh, how that changes. I know. You know, Microsoft share price has been, uh, you know, going very strongly uh, this year during COVID, and you know, in part uh, because of their their increased, uh, you know, sales of uh, of Azure and other cloud services, and of course, Amazon's uh, share price has also been uh, uh, been 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 going nuts. So, yeah, it's um, I, I yeah I don't know whether whether you could say that AWS are, are really too uh, dominant. I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. They're, um, you know, from from everything I read, I'm not seeing anything, uh, su- you know, suggesting that they even own half the um, half the market now. So, um, you know, there is there is a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of uh, you know com- competition there. Still at this stage. And we need that to remain. That's where the problems come. If there's just a couple of dominant forces, of course, the markets, you know, put at risk purely by not having enough options to go, you know, to make choices on. So, and I think these guys at this level are starting to understand that themselves anyway, especially with what's going on in the US and the questions being asked of them uh, for, you know, other, other reasons. But certainly, I think, you know, most people get it. You need competition to stay healthy and to keep the marketplace healthy. So, um, we, we need that to be the case moving forward. Otherwise, we could find ourselves compromised on a much bigger scale when these things do happen. So, yeah, yeah, yep. Um, yeah, so the, I mean, the just some of the material I've picked up puts, um, AWS now, um, at at about thirty two percent market share, followed by um, Azure at uh, around nineteen percent, and Google at seven percent. Closely followed by um, Alibaba at six uh, percent, and then the the rest is you know is a whole variety of of others, um, and include <coughs> including IBM. So um, yeah, I think there's 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 still a, a lot to uh, to play out there in the years. Uh, the years ahead. Um, now, one other vendor that I've um, or company that I wanted to uh, mention, I've got some communications through from um, Avast, who are who are known as um, 
you know, I guess their their name AV um, as the start of it anti uh, for their for their antivirus and and security uh, products. Um, but they have been moving into uh, having their own uh, browsers um, on varying platforms, and they've just uh, they've just launched what they're calling a you know, private browser um, for iOS, and they have um, they also have one. On, on Android, and this is uh, all about securing the communications that go, um, you know, from from their browser. So it's not just a it's not just a browser. Uh, it also carries a, a VPN or a virtual private network to um, to to secure the the communications. Um, and yeah, there's there's now I guess there's a few players that have done this this sort of thing in the market. Um, but it provides that uh, that extra layer of uh, protection. Presuming you're you're okay with trusting them with with seeing your your communications. But you know when things are going over a you know, public Wi-Fi network, etc., anything that you can do to uh, help uh, secure that is uh, is I'm I'm sure something that helps uh, low, lower the risk. Um, you know as long as it's a a trustworthy, uh, trustworthy vendor. So they're they're offering uh, basically a free tier of that, and then there's a premium uh, option that will let you sort of set your uh, VPN location to you know to another part of the world if you're trying to maybe access content that uh, isn't available in um, in your your own country. Right, so that's um, that's those sort of uh, inter- international things, but you know, of course, certainly some uh, some relevance to us uh, here here in New Zealand. And interestingly, uh, you know, some of these products might be uh, might be actually easier to get hold of uh, in New Zealand. Um, the, the CarPlay and Android Auto product that uh, OEM Audio are doing. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not actually too sure of other, um, you know, exactly what other markets are selling a similar product. But this is something where they they've partnered up with a firm, possibly in Taiwan. Would have to have to check that um, to come up with this. But it's their own uh, their own branded product. So um, yeah, that's pretty handy. So now let's talk about some of the things that are going on in New Zealand. Um, Kia Aerospace got a, a short mention uh, last week. Now this company does really fascinate me. They're building these really large solar-powered unmanned aircraft. Uh, a 32-meter wingspan is what they're expecting to launch uh, next year. That works out to be about the uh, the width of um, three buses stacked end to end. So, yeah, pretty sizable. And to have this technology launching out of New Zealand, and my understanding is these are for some sorts of surveillance purposes, but uh, apparently good, you know, good uses. Sort of, you know, looking at our uh, looking at our land, our farmland, being able to sort of, you know, help analyse things there, maybe on a more regular basis than. Than would be done otherwise. I mean, a whole. I guess there's a you know a whole range of uses for aerial photography, um, but you know it does mean we've now this you know becomes another another mechanism through uh, through which the Earth gets uh, looked at from above, and you know we've already got a range of those uh, those sort of mechanisms today with you know cameras on virtually every street corner, every store. Business, there, you know, there must be you know, millions of cameras sort of set up around uh, around New Zealand now, 
and then you get those sort of you know, Google Earth, Google Maps uh, type photos, some that are done at street level. Uh, Apple's doing them here in, in New Zealand at the moment as, as well. Uh, and then you know, from from space. So what Kia Aerospace are doing, because it's you know it's not going so high, I think uh, it's maybe 20, 20 kilometres up, um, it's uh, it's you know it's not quite at the um, you know the same extremes of space, but that also allows them to bring down the down the costs. What are your thoughts about Greg? Your thoughts, Greg, about this? Because there's there's two aspects. One, you know, this is some innovative work going on in New Zealand, uh, but but on the other aspect, uh, surveillance. We've got uh, you know more more things looking at, uh, at at what's going on now. You know, when you're at that level. I'm not sure that you can necessarily track me or you, but uh, yeah, I think you know anything uh, like this, we've got to you know consider what are the uh, what are the legal implications. Can it zoom in on your uh, on your property, and uh, will you get pinged because you've you know made some sort of small change that the council doesn't doesn't like uh, on your on your property? Is that sort of level of surveillance okay? Yeah. And we're pretty trusting in New Zealand. We would hope it's used in the correct manner, which usually it is. Um, thankfully, governance in New Zealand's a big thing, and you know accountability is a big thing. So it is harder to use things, you know. In a manner that's not, you know, not not um, not what it's made for. If you know what I mean, it's kind of like we do have a lot of checks and balances, but there's always room for something like this to be used in an appropriate manner. So that's the risk you have to weigh up. I mean, we trust our politicians to be working on our behalf to ensure this is doing what it's saying it's doing and not other things. And uh, you know, can we stop these advances? No. And do we want to? I don't think so. I think it's better we. We, we make these things for a right purpose to help, um, you know, help care for the land or whatever it is, and we trust it's used in that manner. And, I, and I'm pretty sure in New Zealand it is, you know, we do, because of the checks and balances we have in place with the political system and council and everything. It is a lot harder to Yeah, to for, use. The, for the large part. But, of yeah. course, you you invent this type of technology, it gets sold to the world, well, right? So, you know, right. you, you, the, you look at the, the worst regimes in the world, if they're right. buying this technology – uh, what what would they be doing with it? So, so do, do you, we do, do you do not, need you, you do need to think about it those because things, of right? what might happen, or do you just get out there and and and, and be at the front of it? I think is is the question. And yeah, that you know other countries may want to use this technology uh, as long as they're not using it on our patch of the earth in an appropriate way. Then you know you can't really stop it. This is a business, from my understanding, and they're in it to make a profit. But we we, we would hope people have common sense. But hey. <laughs> Well, it means different things to different people, <laughs> doesn't it? And, you know, I've seen recently sort of commentary around, you know, Rocket Lab and, you know, what they're doing, you know, these absolutely phenomenal. Um, but, of course, when you're doing anything in, in space, that is, you know, tending to be pretty heavily funded uh, from a government, you know, from a government uh, purse. And when that happens, there are certain things, you know, governments like to, uh, like to, like to do in space that, you know, might involve spying and so on. And look, of course, you know, actually that's part of what, you know, what keeps us safe is, you know, some of those, some of those activities, um, you know, and, uh, there'll be varying thoughts on that, but I think it is important to be, yeah, considering how these technologies might be used one, two, three, four, five, ten years out, and be thinking ahead so that our our legislation um, is relevant and and up to date, so uh, these things don't get used inappropriately. And you know, of course, there, there is always 
work going on on, on new laws and we've got the new privacy um, rules coming into place here uh, in, in New Zealand. Uh, and you know those are the sorts of things that uh, that help cover off in these sorts of circumstances. So, yeah, I'm you know I'm not quite sure where we land on a on a world scale on uh, all of these things, but yeah, I think we do talk about it. Uh, we've got a pretty open government that's happy to have you know for discussions to uh, to be had, and we are able at at times you know for legislation to not take too long. Other cases, it does feel as though we're years and years behind. So, uh, yeah, but exciting all all the same, and you know, just great to see the the whole aerospace sector getting you know fired up in New Zealand. So, we'll certainly continue uh, delving into some of these stories and, and talking to some of the uh, the founders and and those involved. Um, now, I wanted to talk about five um, G. Yeah, we know that um, both Vodafone and Spark have really been, uh, you know, pouring a lot of effort into uh, getting 5G into uh, the market here in New Zealand, and uh, it's the la- the new the latest from uh, from Spark was that they've now got uh, their 5G network operating. Uh, in Dunedin, so we're sort of you know slowly seeing more locations around the country getting that uh, getting that coverage, and of course we've had the iPhone uh, 12, now the 12 Mini, the 12 Pro, and the 12 Pro Max all available uh, in the in the New Zealand uh, market, and so. Because there there are so many iPhones around, and of course we've had Samsung's five G phones uh, in in the market now for uh, for a while as well. Um, these things will certainly help uh, increase that five G uh, demand, and um, you know also our telecommunications uh, providers, in terms of you know especially Spark and and Vodafone, have been uh, selling their fixed wireless broadband, where instead of using a fibre connection to get internet uh, into your home, um, actually it's brought in over the airways, um, over the four G or or even five G uh, networks and. Uh, this is is really interesting because we've sort of flipped a bit this year where we're now in a position where we we start to have these um, supposedly uncapped um, fixed wireless internet services available uh, to consumers and it always used to be you know, your issues with fixed wireless were around performance well you know performance is, is actually you know pretty reasonable when I've uh, when I've tested those fixed wireless connections uh, in a lot of cases uh, and then the other limits were uh, were data caps but those are uh, you know are really disappearing and 5G will certainly increase things from a performance perspective. Um, what are you using at home? Are you on fibre or fixed wireless, Greg? We're on fibre. You're on fibre? Yeah. yeah. And and look, I think, um, you know, my my general feeling and, um, you know, yes, uh, Crown Infrastructure Partners who are, who are, you know, involved in this for representing the government sort of uh, side and getting fibre rolled out, um, you know, are a, custom, are a customer that I, that I work with. Um, but, you know, regardless, I, you know, always go for a fixed connection uh, over a wireless connection when you're trying Trying to you know trying to get the best from a uh, a performance perspective, uh, especially and a reliability uh, perspective, and and you know it's it's similar into uh, into business premises, and certainly you know some businesses will run with everyone on uh, on Wi-Fi connections for you know all of their uh, devices, um, but in most cases actually having 
uh, you know, docking station type setups that are all uh, you know fed to a, to a cable connection back to uh, the network and the internet is going to give you the the best results from you know performance security reliability uh, perspective and there's certainly some similarities here um, I was really interested though to see when I was googling about this that um, uh, the Consumers Institute, or just consumer as they call, they seem to call themselves uh, today, had, were running advertising, um, basically claiming that um, you know Spark's claims about uh, uh, fixed wireless broadband um, didn't stack up. And I thought this this is uh, this is you know ra- rather interesting. Uh, you know why why would they be doing that? And you know, of course their model is they're they're very much a, a you know membership based organisation. So um, they want you to you know pay money and be able to go and you know read read their reports. Um, but there, so I clicked through and had a little bit of a read, and they made they made two claims. Um, they made a, a claim that. Um, um, fixed wireless is limited to sort of between 10 and 40 megabits per second, which I don't think that's the case uh, at all these days. I've certainly seen speeds much faster than that um, on fixed wireless connections. And they also talk about data caps, um, you know, limiting to 120 um, gigabytes in terms of the amount of data that you can uh, you can download. Then I noticed at the top this thing that they're running ads for. You know, today here we are in you know late November 2020. They're pushing an article that they published over three years ago, uh, and they're they're saying they're, they're they're pointing the finger at Spark and saying, "Hey, you're publishing. You know, you're you're maybe um, you know not not being an entirely uh, you know straight up with customers. Your claims don't stack up." Now, look, there, there's to a degree. I you know this. I think that um, consumers generally are going to get a better a better result out of a fibre connection than a fixed wireless. So there's there's no debate about that piece, um, you know, from me. But some will choose for yeah, you know, probably for cost more than you know more than anything else, um, or for the ability to start a connection and then you know end it, um, you know, basically inst- instantly. You don't you know nothing, nothing really needs to uh, uh, happen, particularly if you don't have fibre already running into your premises. You can get up and running very quickly on um, um, on wireless. But I, I thought. Uh, consumer were being a little bit over the top to be promoting an article that was so uh, uh, so so out of date. Even even if it you know does to a degree hold some um, you know still hold some relevant viewpoints. So just thought I'd mention that uh, if, if people have you know had. Um, you know, come across that themselves, or you know, had family members with varying uh, viewpoints. Um, now, lastly, uh, before we finish up today, I um, wanted to cover off the report that came through uh, from Crown Infrastructure uh, that is just talking around their um, their growth. And when I talk about their growth, I'm talking about the um, the things that they've invested in, in, in terms of uh, being being funded, the ultra fast broadband, um, the uh, rural broadband initiative, uh, their Mirai uh, connectivity, uh, and also some of the fibre that's going uh, being being uh, put in place in the South Island to um, improve, I think, uh, resiliency and and uh, and performance. Of connectivity to some um, some parts of the country, so um, yeah, there were a few sort of things that um, that jumped out there. They're saying that uh, average uh, speed for 
ultra-fast broadband services is now at 238 megabits uh, per second, which is is just phenomenal and you know so pleasing to to hear that number. Of course, when ultra fast broadband launched, there wasn't even uh, you know that that sort of speed wasn't even uh, you know published uh, or or available. There was nothing over the two hundred uh, megabits per second. Uh, but now, because of the near megabit um, options that are that are popular, and now you can get um, uh, sorry um, the the near gigabit options, and now you can get two gigabit and, and four gigabit. Uh, uh, Connectivity. I imagine we will just see those, um, you know, those average speeds in, increasing. And uh, they talked at the end of the last quarter, 161,000, uh, just over 161,000 uh, households and businesses uh, with gigabit um, uh, ultra-fast broadband uh, connections, which is is great. Um, the the uptake for uh, fibre is. Um, is pretty strong there. Sixty-two percent of the uh, those that can get ultra-fast broadband are, are using it, and I guess you know the gap is uh, those that have got maybe you know ADSL, VDSL, uh, fixed wireless uh, instead, or maybe no uh, no connectivity at all. So th- yeah, things are really uh, really moving along quite quickly now. Greg, you're involved um, in an organisation called um, Multi Initiatives, and uh, you know, I know you you work with um, you know various uh, you know c- communities, particularly um, in the in the far north. And um, uh, Crown Infrastructure are involved in the Marai Digital uh, Connectivity Program, which is uh, connecting up. Um, Marae to be um, regional um, digital hubs. What's your thoughts on uh, on this this work? Because it seems as though that's moving along uh, quite quite nicely. I think I read there maybe uh, um, uh, well, well over a hundred uh, Marae that have got the physical connection now, and uh, at least a hundred which have um, you know, actually connected and have got the hardware. And um, you know, this is now something that they can uh, utilise. Well, it's an incredible opportunity for the regions, really, because, you know, Marae would be in many ways, you know, like a churches and communities where people have faith. The Marae draws people, they go, they be active there. And this will have a drawing effect on young people as well because it'll allow them to come and still be connected but be in a location, a safe location, a location where a lot of amazing stuff goes on that they might otherwise not be bothered getting involved with because they, they're going to lose their connection on the way up. Mm. Which is usually what happens. So you get past a certain point and the connection drops out and their interest in the day tends to drop out along with it because, you know, young people today want to be connected. So um I mean that's putting the business aspect aside. Just drawing young people back to these community places would be I think very powerful. And obviously if you can start to build some opportunities in those locations off this connection, then that's again that's just gonna uh, bring some really good stories into the regions. I know in the Marae up north, the community we're working with, it's an incredible Marae, uh, very well, um, you know, it just looks incredible. You walk into it, it's an amazing space, but of course there's not great connectivity up to this point. And so this, again, would give an opportunity for that place to become, you know, that much more dynamic again. And currently there's the Marae, there's a shed, and then there's just surrounded by fields. So who knows what opportunities can come you know, from this kind of initiative. So it, I think it's amazing, to be fair. Right. Really, right. really So, good. So we see the Marais have sort of become a a location that are maybe not, a, not as playing in as active a role in the community as 
as they want the once did, and yet they've probably got all sorts of resources. You talk Absolutely. about land that's you know maybe not being, being used for for things, and the the more that they can sort of draw the community um, back, then uh, the more initiatives well, it's and things the they might get the younger in. community members okay. back because yep. you know yep. those that have always been a part of those communities remain, and you know. But it's it's drawing in young people to also get excited about their culture and you know about the opportunities of spending time with some of the the koya and komatua and those places are very special. So yeah, yeah, that's good. A um, couple of other stats I thought were kind of um, kind of cool that um, crown infrastructure. Their overall target um, is by the end of twenty twenty three to deliver. Uh, improved broadband to 99.8% of the population. So it's a very large, uh, very, very large majority uh, of Kiwis getting uh, getting better connectivity. And I mean, my guess is it's that last 0.2% that you know, won't be you know, directly served by these things where um, the satellite type connectivity, uh, you know, that's where those sorts of things come comes into play. Uh, which, which over time, you know, may become you know quite an important part of the of the mix. Um, we'll see how that that plays out. But certainly, there being there's there's going to be a position in New Zealand where we've got, I think, you know, a very very healthy competition when you've got the wireless internet service providers for rural. Uh, you've you've also got uh, you know fixed wireless. You've got satellite, and then you know for those that are in in towns and and cities of any scale, you add uh, the the fibre into the mix as well. It's a it's a pretty healthy position, I think, for New Zealand to uh, uh, to be in. So uh, obviously, lots of work going on there over the over the next three years, and uh, yeah, Crown Infrastructure also in, investing into. Um, um, you know some of the um, the broader sort of connectivity that links up different uh, uh, different locations, which is uh, which is really. You've also got the point of you know cost of living in the big cities, and people wanting to move out of the big cities, and suddenly they can go home to like locations like Tokomaru Bay, where our family Marae is, which is a ghost town because there's just no connectivity. There's no way of connecting to the, you know you, you have to get on the telephone or the mobile. You, you can't effectively do much from those places, but suddenly if that's that opportunity is available, I mean, how does that change a community? Mm, uh, mm. We don't know yet, but we'll find out in time, I'm sure. Yeah, so. well, I mean, we've certainly seen some of that this year, haven't we? We're, you know, people from their varying locations, whether it is, you know, through, through a mobile connectivity or, or otherwise have you know, have been able to get in and and, and do a, a fair level of work remotely. Um, there are some interesting uh, uh, stats at the at the top of the stack. Um, Morrinsville, in terms of their ultra-fast broadband um, uptake, 88% of uh, premises that can connect uh, have done. Uh, Fota Fota, uh, 85%. Um, and then sort of, you know, ra- range of others in, in between. I see there uh, Hamilton at 73%, uh, Tauranga, uh, 72%, Auckland at, at 70%. So, uh, you know, for those where there's been connects, in some cases, those where there's been connectivity for a while, 
uh, you know, we're really seeing those numbers, um, you know, grow well. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what have been the triggers for Morrinsville to uh, to hit that 88 percent, and when uh, when ultra fast broadband first became available there, but uh, pretty encouraging, I think, that uh, the you know the word's getting out, and that people are getting uh, getting connected up. So yeah, it's good good stuff for uh, for you know I think many facets of uh, of New Zealand and and for our future. Um, of course, it's good for gaming and other things as well, and our entertainment. So it's uh, uh, a lot, a lot more than just for our work. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, thanks, Greg. Great to uh, have been a, a real pleasure to be back on. Have for. a chat on the show, and thank you everybody for uh, listening in. And of course, a huge thank you to uh, our show partners that uh, support the New Zealand uh, Tech Podcast: Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Vocus, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology and Umbrella Connect and we, we just appreciate the support that they give to the tech and uh, innovation ecosystems in New Zealand and they're willing to um, su- support us without uh, any any control over what we talk about or our topics and uh, you know our, that we're able to uh, uh, you know talk freely if we, we disagree with some of the things that um, uh, that they say too so yeah that's that's awesome great uh, great partners great support alright thanks everyone we'll catch you next week on the next episode See ya. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.